Have you ever wondered why anyone drinks Malort? Or if there are actually lobsters in the Chicago River? Then listen to the Curious City podcast, where we answer all your questions about Chicago and the region. WBEZ's Curious City is part of the NPR network and available wherever you find your podcasts. I'm Justin Kaufman, and this is Reset. Last night, there was unrest and protests in Kenosha, Wisconsin, after police there shot an unarmed black man seven times in the back yesterday. The world is watching Kenosha tonight, and we demand answers tonight. Meanwhile, here in Chicago, Alderman met Friday in a rare special session with Mayor Lori Lightfoot, and some council members want the mayor to call in the National Guard for support. But to what effect? My own view is the National Guard, despite the conversation, is not a panacea. And what I've seen over the course of the summer is that if it's not deployed in the right way, it can go disastrously wrong. That's Mayor Lori Lightfoot on the issue, but she's not the only one concerned with calling in federal troops. Robert Pape, political science professor at the University of Chicago and head of the Chicago Project on Security and Threats, researched the outcomes of the recent deployment of federal agents to Portland. His research showed violence actually increased on the ground. Robert joins us now. Professor Pape, welcome. Glad to be here, Justin. Also, Radley Balco is with us. He's the blogger and columnist for The Washington Post. He's the author of the book Rise of the Warrior Cop, The Militarization of America's Police Forces. Radley, welcome back. Thanks. Good to be here. All right, so I want to get both of your responses to what we saw yesterday in Kenosha. Uh, Professor, I'll start with you. What's your reaction when you see uh, not just the the police shooting, but what happened afterwards? Uh, We're in a volatile political situation. Um, This is across the country. It's the result of short-term phenomena like COVID-19, which is producing widespread anxiety across the nation. Um, But also, it interacts with longstanding issues, uh, racism, issues of police in our community. And so what you're seeing is we live in a tinderbox, and little matches, what seem little to a lot of people, can explode. We saw last night with the unrest that was happening in downtown Kenosha, and and we're seeing more of a trajectory where where you see more uh, police response that that is more military, uh, riot gear, tear gas, things of that nature. And you wrote the book, Radley, The Rise of the Warrior Cop. This is on display as as more unrest happens uh, in another uh, American city. Right, and you know, I mean, I, it, when there's when there is actual violence going on, of course, you have to be prepared and you have to you know respond and, and protect people's lives, but. You know, I think what we've seen in a lot of cities over the last couple of months is that the first response to protest has been with overwhelming force and the, and the military gear. And that, you know, that becomes a self-fulfilling situation where if you come expecting violence, the police are less likely to see themselves as, you know, there to facilitate the rights of the protester. Instead, they see themselves as, you know, the kind of last wall between the protesters and, and anarchy. And places that have taken a kind of a more facilitating approach, an approach where the police job is to, again, to, to help the protesters exercise their First Amendment rights. We've seen less violence. Um, it's not, again, that's not to say you don't come prepared uh, in case things get out of hand. But that initial response, I think, is important uh, to what happens later. Well, that, that dovetails into, Robert, your research uh, on the outcomes of federal troops in Portland. We've seen this story on the nightly news if you're in Chicago or, or following on social media. And the idea was that the federal troops are going to come in and protect uh, uh, different uh, federal buildings. But the, the secondary idea was they would quell violence. So what were the main findings of your research? So this research was done with a large 10-person research team at the University of Chicago Project on Security and Threats. 
We systematically tracked all 122 protests in Portland from May 28 to August 6 across a broad range of violence variables because we wanted to find out how did the deployment of commando-style DHS agents impact that violence. And whether you track the use of tear gas, protesters with shields, police injuries, or arrests, the pattern is unmistakable. The deployment of DHS led to more violence, not less, and suppressed peaceful protests. Indeed, peaceful protests virtually disappeared during the 11 days of the DHS deployment. And when I say that violence increased during the period of DHS deployment, I'm talking specifically about the 25 days from July 4th to July 29th. That's when DHS uh, deployed with boots on the ground in DHS. Their purpose was to reduce violence and protect federal buildings from violence. Mm -hmm. Well, that violence increased across those variables I just mentioned from 71% to 207% during that 25-day period. Before DHS got there, in the immediately preceding weeks, violence was actually dwindling, declining in Portland. Uh, The DHS deployment uh, dramatically escalated that violence. And then in the week after DHS left, violence declined, not to nothing. It still continued, but not at the peak of when DHS was Mm. there. And Radley, that that has to resonate with you just from your research and reporting on a more militarized police presence. You know, the idea of whether that helps or hurts public safety. Right. I mean, when when people, um, I mean, whether we're talking about policing of sort of neighborhoods on a day-to-day basis or you're talking about response to protests, when people see the police as you know, sort of an occupying force when the police are dehumanized in the eyes of the community or the protesters. And, and frankly, when you show up in, in, you know, the full-on riot gear from day one, the police officers are dehumanized in the eyes of the, of the, of the protesters. You know, they, they see them not as an officer with, you know, a mustache and blue eyes and name tag. They see them as the sort of faceless sort of a robocop that represents everything that they're there to protest against. I think it's an invitation uh, to violence and confrontation. And also, I mean, the, when you look at the, the camouflage that they were wearing, um, you know, the Obama administration put a ban on camouflage and, and giving camouflage-colored equipment and clothes and other gear uh, to police departments from the Pentagon. And there was some ridicule for that. As if, you know, what does the color of the gear have to say about anything? Well, it, it actually does uh, say a lot, and it's important, because when you dress like a soldier and you're armed like a soldier and you're told you're, you know, fighting a war, whether it's on terror or drugs or Antifa, you know, you're going to start to see yourself as a soldier and you're going to start to see the people you're there to be serving, you know, not as as citizens with rights, but as, you know, a potential threat, as Mm -hmm. as potential combatants. And that has a huge impact on, on, you know, what kind of violence and and clashes we're going to see. Yeah. Robert, you had an op-ed in the paper uh, this week just about this idea that aldermen are kind of tossing around after the unrest of the last couple of weeks, including the looting in the loop and along the Mag Mile, that, that it should be the National Guard should be called up, that we should go to, that the mayor should petition the governor of the state of Illinois to bring the National Guard in to protect the peace. You argue against that, and, and a lot of that has to do with the, the things we're talking about right here and essentially what the National Guard is trained to do. Uh, that's right, and specifically about what we just saw in Portland, you see, because Portland is the key case that we have this summer 
This is not a case years old. This is not a case somewhere else around the world. This is a case happening in the United States this summer, and it's a key case where military-style troops were deployed in order to suppress violence. And what I just explained was it actually increased violence. You see, we live in this volatile political situation where when you insert military-style troops and forces, you can create an us-versus-them mentality Mm -hmm. that can lead to a spiral of violence. This is very different this summer than an ordinary situation of violence where you have a handful of looters over here or crime uh, spiking up as we've seen in other summers in Chicago. What we're seeing in Chicago is part of the volatile situation, political situation in the whole country. And in this case, troops, National Guard or any military style troops are more likely to increase violence than to suppress it. And this is something that's very, very dangerous as we go forward. Violence can get worse, not better, if we deploy those troops. Yeah. And Mayor Lightfoot spoke uh, more on the topic uh, of what's informing her decision to really go against the, the National Guard. And she shared her personal perspective. I want to play a clip of, of this is from her personal perspective of growing up in Ohio. I grew up just down the road from Kent State. And I was seven plus years old when the news happened on that May 4th day in 1970 that National Guardsmen killed students on that campus. That was a huge moment in my young life. The then governor was, I think, unrepentant in sending in the National Guard in a, an environment that really didn't require that kind of force. No, that, that last part she says, that it didn't require that kind of force. And we're talking, Robert, when we're talking about the National Guard, they are trained differently than regular officers. And since they're military, they have a different perspective on that kind yeah. of concept of what the force is. Of- the weapons of war that we're talking about with heavy military forces um, are weapons that are designed uh, for mass killing. Uh, And so this is taking a very volatile situation and putting a volatile element in it. And in Chicago, we have some other options, which Mayor Lightfoot has been using to good effect. We can pull up the bridges um, in the evenings uh, into the early morning hours. And this does a lot to suppress uh, the possibility of violence, to shrink the problem for the city of Mm -hmm. Chicago police to a more manageable problem. I think what we need to recognize is between now and through the fall, we're going to need to use that policy, uh, not just in the short term, but quite frequently. Another important policy is we need to see in the long term, ultimately, we're going to need deep community engagement because what's been eroded with this summer of volatile uh, politics is trust and trust at the local level. That's only going to be repaired drop by drop, inch by inch, with local engagement. And that's going to take time. It took us time to get into this volatile political situation. Mm -hmm. It's going to take time to get us out. And it's going to be most advanced by, number one, don't make it worse. Number two, use the advantages of the bridges in Chicago. And number three, start down that long road of deep community engagement. On point. Bradley, the Kenosha News right now is reporting, it's just in, that the National Guard will arrive in the Wisconsin city at 3 p.m. today to aid local authorities in the wake of the police shooting of 29-year-old Jacob Blake. That's just announced. 
And as we talk about whether or not it's the right fit for Chicago, it's happening 50 miles from Chicago. So, Radley, when you read that, that the National Guard, they say they're going to be aiding local authorities, but they know that protests are set up for tonight. From your vantage point of being an author and a columnist, what does that invoke? What is, what's your thoughts to the news that Wisconsin Kenosha is going to do that? Well, I think the National Guard question is a little bit complicated because, you know, I think the instinct to send the National Guard in among politicians is a dangerous one. Um, however, I think in some cases the, the, the policing culture in, in this country and in a lot of places is so kind of far gone that in some cases sending a National Guard troops can be an improvement. And, and I'll give you a good example, which is Lafayette Square Park, um, with the clearing of the park before um, President Trump's you know, photo op in front of the church. That was a violent clearing of the park. We now know that that uh, irritants were used. That it was a you know a lot of forces used. That it was the protesters were not violent as originally claimed. And the people who kind of uh, have come forward in that situation and 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 exposed the administration's lies and talked about how uncomfortable they were as being law enforcement in that situation were all National Guard troops. Um, uh, the, the whistleblower testified before Congress as a commanding officer in the National Guard. We had three National Guard. Uh, members um, told Politico, uh, you know, basically that about what they talked to them about what they saw, and it's actually the domestic police groups that have, uh, you know, sort of uh, clammed up and and sort of stuck to these stories. And you know, the same with Operation Legend, uh, it's called the, the DHS uh, sending uh, officers into Portland and elsewhere. Those actually aren't military troops; they're DHS law enforcement officials and, and customs and border yeah, patrol so officials. Right. And so, you know, I, th- I do think that the instinct against than in the military in these situations is a healthy one. That notion of that using that kind of force designed to you know fight on a battlefield and not in American cities, and that's very healthy that we don't want to do that. But I also think it's an indication of just how far gone policing is in, in many parts of this country, um, that it's actually the National Guard troops in some of these situations that are mm-hmm. speaking up uh, about police violence. Again, uh, Robert, I mean, as you mentioned just before, right before we, we mentioned that Kenosha is bringing in the National Guard, the Wisconsin National Guard, that, that not necessarily the right fit, but that says they're aiding local officials. I would assume that they want to protect the downtown parts of Kenosha. And your, your thoughts to, to just having this conversation while this news is breaking. When you bring in the heavy troops, you create the spiral of violence, which often splits both sides as the harder core become more and more intense. So when when the spiral of violence occurs, you get the peaceful protesters uh, to basically stay home. That's what happened in July in Portland. Peaceful protests virtually came to a halt as violence was increasing. And then among the security side, as you increase the violence there, you get splits there as well, um, as Radley is explaining. So you get some who peel off because they don't want to hurt their fellow citizens, even if it means disobeying orders. So what happens? happens is the spiral of violence gets going and the people who are doing that engagement of the spiral can just become more intense and more intense. Mm. It doesn't always happen. So this is uh, politics is not quite like a cookbook. We can't, it's not a, I'm not telling you that um, it happens with the pattern I'm describing happens every time, but it just happened in Portland. And so this is a very risky situation uh, right now in Kenosha. And we need to look not at what happens just in one day, but in Portland, things got much worse after two weeks. The the last 11 days of DHS deployment was much worse than the first 14. 
and so it's important to see that as this gets going, you get protesters who will come with shields. They'll come with wooden shields, plastic shields. They'll be coming uh, more and more prepared if they come at all. Bradley, I'll, I'll give you the last word just that, you know, we talked with a Chicago Tribune investigative uh, reporter about how the state of Illinois and uh, police uh, shops in, in, in this state are, are getting a lot of money uh, and spending a lot of money on militarized equipment. It's happening in Chicago, too. You see these kind of like uh, outfitted tanks, essentially, that are that are around. Mm-hmm. But this idea that they're, they're continuing, we're going to hear at the RNC law and order, law and order, law and order all week, and we, we, we support the police. How important is this issue of militarizing the police and giving them militarized equipment uh, to do daily tasks or, or routine tasks of, of, you know, policing their communities? The important thing is, uh, both in addressing the, the kind of violence from the protests and just the spike in violence that we've seen this summer in a number of major cities, it goes back to police community trust. And when the police are, are you know, parading through the community and they're landmine-resistant armored personnel carriers and when they're wearing camouflage. And, um, you know, Chicago has this, uh, I mean, uh, pro- ongoing problem with police conducting drug raids and hitting the wrong house and, you know, subjecting people to extraordinary violence and then not really even offering so much as an apology afterwards. DOJ report on the Chicago Police Department and the abuses, long, you know, simmering or ongoing abuses there. There's just this long history that needs to be addressed uh, and ameliorated. And I think that really is how you, uh, you know, stop the violence. You, you rebuild that trust uh, and you get the communities cooperating with police again, instead of being you know, afraid of them and, and feeling as if they're being terrorized by them. That's a long project. Um, but, it, you know, it's from a political standpoint, I guess it's sort of easier to look tough on crime by uh, giving the, the police officers bigger guns and, and bigger armored personnel carriers and sort of just, erring on the side of getting tough on everything. But, you know, as, as we've seen and as the, the, the University of Chicago study shows, um, that, that in the end is just going to make things worse. Yeah. Radley Balco is a columnist for The Washington Post and author of the book Rise of the Warrior Cop, The Militarization of America's Police Forces. Also, Robert Pape, political science professor at the University of Chicago and head of the Chicago Project on Security and Threats at the University. Thanks to you both for this good conversation. Appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Radley, too. And that's today's Reset. Keep your head and your body cool as this hot weather sits over Chicago for the next couple days. I'm Justin Kaufman. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you back here tomorrow on Reset from WBEZ, Chicago's NPR news station. Do you need a break from the news? Well, my friend, Nerdette Podcast is here for you. Our show is all about delight. We laugh about what's happening in pop culture and feature thoughtful interviews with fascinating people. We even have a monthly book club that you can participate in. I could just go on and on about it. I loved this book. It was an experience, I'll tell you that. (laughs) I discovered authors I had never heard of, and I'm really happy that I did. Come hang out with us. Listen to Nerdette wherever you get your podcasts.